Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. So a few months ago I was in Thailand and I had the pleasure and the opportunity of staying in the temple of Wat Tham Krabok and interviewing my friend who is a monk there. So Wat Tham Krabok has an interesting reputation because of their drug detoxification program that they have there, which is especially for opiate addicts. And a few years ago Vice released a piece saying it was the harshest drug detox program in the world. So that comes up in the interview and it turns out it's not quite as harsh as they made it out. We also talk about the founding of the temple, about the founders Luang Po Yai and her two nephews, and also about the medicine, the herbal medicine that they use there, which is actually literally vomit inducing. And I had the, the chance to try that there as well. And we talk about Buddhism in general and the teachings of Buddhism, how it can be used, this, this approach, which can reduce the suffering in, in people's lives. So it's a great interview. It's actually the first part. I've got a, a lot more footage of this, and which I'll release over the coming weeks. Unfortunately, the audio had a few problems. So I did dub over some of the bits that were harder to hear. So you'll hear my voice in some places where it should be my friends. So let's get into it. my friend and he's going to tell us a bit about Wat Tham Krabok, the temple here in Thailand near uh, Praputabad in Saraburi province. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. So this is an unusual Buddhist temple because it's, it's kind of got a, a separate tradition in, in a sense to most of the temples in Thailand. Yeah, so uh, Buddhism in Thailand is uh, interesting just as a broad picture of what Buddhism is like. Uh, there are a lot of uh, forest traditions that have survived uh, up to this day. Uh, early in the last century, there was a kind of reformation in Thailand and they tried to uh, standardize, I guess, the practice of Buddhism. Uh, across a lot of temples, but there are still a lot of traditions which are very uh, unique. And this temple comes out of that wandering and forest monk tradition. So a lot of the style of practice here is is quite unique, and even the uh, ritualism involved in living in this temple is very different than in other temples. But fundamentally, the, I guess the, the underlying basis of the practice is the same. Buddhism is the same uh, all around the world. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different varieties and styles of practice, but at the end of the day, it has a common goal of uh, eradication of suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so it is. It is a little different, but not not that different. The fundamentals are the same. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Hmm. so, can you tell us, like, uh, about the, about the founder of the temple, about the Luang Por? Yeah. I don't know if I can. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of, uh, I guess, what we would call biographical details are not commonly discussed amongst people. Huh. Uh, I guess the, the feeling of one of the other founders was that it's her life is kind of sacred, so huh. to turn it into like a story, like a biographical story, is not really respecting the nature of what she was as a huh. being. Uh, though, can I say some some basic details, like like about? You can say. I can say it, but you can't. Okay, all right, fair enough. Because uh, <laughs> I guess there's a lot of rumors floating around as well, but so I have to be careful. I don't want to overstep, you know, the bounds. But uh, she was um, she ordained herself as as a monk, uh, which is unusual um, because she it wasn't a title given to her, but she, she took it herself. And of course, female monks are, are not common. She decided she wanted to be wanted to be a, a monk and not a nun. And she, they say, she foresaw or pr- predicted uh, that drug abuse was going to be a problem in Thailand, and uh, that was one of the main reasons she she set up this temple. And uh, some of the practices here, like the, the medicine, the the herbal remedies that they use, like the herbal tea and the emetics, that is the, the vomiting medicine. So uh, I guess <laughs> I guess I can't get you to comment on that so, to affirm or deny it. But Here my friend said, well, the interesting thing about this place is that we're not trying to find one story or one history. Online of the way things are or the way things work. Hmm. Um, if you talk to different high monks, uh, different monks have been living here for 40, 50 years or whatever, they will all have different stories. And some of them are radically contradictory. Here, my friend said that his teacher told him that Luang Po Yai was a nun. But the story of her ordaining herself is also quite accepted, and the story of her being a monk is also accepted. Again, there's a strange thing about Buddhism, like there's a certain picture and ordination has a certain meaning in this and that, but the Buddha ordained himself. And insofar as we understand the history of the Buddha... When Buddha was ordaining monks early on, ordination was just, okay, you're a monk, get to it. It wasn't this big ritualistic thing. So a lot of problems that people have with this and a lot of questions uh, stem from the different way that we approach ritualism to uh, other contemporary styles of Buddhism. Uh, But in the tradition itself, throughout the history of the path, which is more than 2,500 years, there have been all of these changes and all of these different styles of ritualism from the early non-ritual way of practicing all the way up to the intensely codified Yeah, so I don't know this question of what the status was in terms of ordination to me is is interesting. I kind of like the idea of someone just ordaining himself. But at the same time, from the, I guess, contemporary historical 
way of looking at events. Uh, it's really hard to say anything in this place. Hmm. If you ask questions about when something was built or why it was built or what it's for, again, you'll get these answers that are, to some degree, uh, contradictory or conflicting or whatever. In Thailand, that's not an issue. It's not like there is a truth and everything else is false. It's like um, they accept. They accept wholeheartedly partial truths trying to peel things back to get to a true story isn't really important in Thai culture. Right. Yeah, fair enough. So it's much like with the Buddha himself, like people people will tell parables about the Buddha and the details will change depending on what the moral of the story is. And that's just fine. Yeah. I mean, again, with the Buddha, maybe there's more of a... Uh, classically accepted canonical version of his life but even that is shrouded in like legendary aspects and magical aspects uh, for a lot of people if they, they were to read the, the official story of Buddha's life it would have a lot of things in it that would defy common understanding of physical Like I, I know you mentioned this this story about um, Jesus uh, handing out the fish and the, and the bread to people. Some people will take that literally as a miracle, and other people will say, "Well, when we share, we, we get more." So it's, it's up to your interpretation. But in terms of the founders of the temple, so there's one boy and then these two brothers, Porsche and Chamber. All three of them are reported to have had um, like super normal Yeah, so again, a lot of the stories about them are kept a little bit inside because, uh, yeah, like either people will, I guess, put too much uh, stock in miraculous, magical kind of thing, or they'll become very skeptical and very dubious about yeah, refers to these stories that again, conventional way of looking at physical realities, like children's stories. Yeah, <laughs> so that's just yeah part of the contradiction, and, and uh, you know you just get on with it. I guess digging up the past isn't necessarily so important. Yeah, I mean you can you can use it as a model. You can use it to learn from. Yeah, create a kind of triangulate triangulation with the present. Yeah, but other than that, uh, yeah, it's not, not so relevant to daily practice. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, can you tell me about um, the detox? How the detox works? Like, there's this Vice article, and the, the title of the article is deliberately sensational. They say it's the world's toughest rehab center and I read the article and I'm like they, they tack that, that that title on later um, <laughs> the article doesn't really align with what, what they're saying um, but tell us about what, what they do in the detox, how it helps so I don't know where to start 
So the detox has been running for a long time. Uh, it kind of started organically. Uh, the Kingdom of Thailand made uh, opium and heroin illegal. So up until a certain point, now maybe 40 years ago, no, probably more than that, maybe almost 60 years ago now, uh, uh, opioids became illegal in Thailand. So there were a whole bunch of people who um, wanted to follow the law had to withdraw from opioids. So it, the detox kind of started organically in a sense. Uh, two brothers were living in the cave where the temple started.
of creature comforts and the detox process is not um, uh, mitigated by other drugs. So normally in conventional detox, especially in the West, there's a whole bunch of uh, substitution that happens between drugs and for other drugs. And the basic idea is to control the symptoms of the detox while the person detoxifies. Uh, but here there's no symptom control whatsoever. You can't take any kind of pharmaceutical drugs or any detox. So there's nothing to help you sleep, there's nothing to help you with your digestion, there's nothing to help you with pain, which is I think one of the reasons why the detox here is uh, so effective. If it is hard, I think that hardness is useful because it makes people uh, resilient or it gets them back in touch with their own resilience. Uh, one of the things that happens with people who use a lot of drugs is they, they lose the ability to suffer through things uh, because they have this convenient escape from pain, from emotional pain, from uh, being awake. So People just get in this habit of not facing their own experience, their own pain, their own minute-to-minute reality. reality. So in the detox here, there's nothing they can use to distract themselves. There's a TV in there right now. So, uh, and it's only Thai TV anyway, so the foreign patients is not so useful a distraction tool. Uh, but there's no recorded music, there's no Really, you're just sitting inside of your own experience um, with these medications. These medications are not designed to help you with your symptoms at all. They're just designed to cleanse your body. We have the herbal steam bath as well, which cleanses toxins through the skin, helps them detoxify. Other than that, it's just sitting with their experience which is a really strange kind of sideways way of practicing getting people to look at their experiences in what we'd call Buddhist terms. Buddhism isn't really, it isn't really a thing. It's more of an approach to the nature of life. Try to understand your own suffering. suffering. And for a lot of people in the world, this truth is a bit hard to see because you want something and then you get what you want and you have a bit of joy or something from it. If you line up a whole series of these, you can kind of feel like you're happy and you don't have suffering. Uh, but for a drug addict, the idea that craving causes suffering is an absolute truth that every drug addict has experienced hundreds of times, thousands of times. Getting what you want doesn't satisfy you. Um, yeah, the, the whole cycle of craving is really, really the cycle of drug abuse, but just amped up. Um, so it's uh, it, it's a lot easier for people have been drug addicts to see uh, some of the truths about what craving does and what desire does. And um, the, the standard approach to satisfaction and happiness. Um, I made a play about um, a drug addict a little while ago when 
um, he had all of these tongue-in-cheek ironic arguments about um, drug abuse being a kind of uh, form of progress, like progress of civilization, because we have control of these technologies. Um, chemistry is a kind of technology. Uh, why shouldn't we use uh, chemical technologies to make our lives better, to make ourselves feel better, to make mm. ourselves happy? Mm. Uh, but it's really a spurious argument. There are these deeper truths that are easier to touch once you've seen the, the devastation that happens from, uh, from desire and craving. Mm. So that's like Eckhart Tolle talks about the, the way of the cross, like hitting absolute rock bottom, and that's when you start to realize that just going after your desires is, isn't what it's cranked up to be. Yeah, Fight Club is a similar thing. Right. Hitting bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's it's necessary. Uh, like, to, if if you wanna if you wanna change your life, you need motivation to change it. If you think you're okay, you can kind of make do. It's hard to make a big change, a change in your perspective, a change in your direction. Things that can become the impetus for, for change and for self-discovery 